So, um, I don't know if you follow the news, it's probably wise if you don't, um, but I've had, I've had a pretty heavy and a somber week this week. I think uh, talking about compassion last week just kind of opened me up at a time when I probably didn't need to be opened up to the, to the uh, woes of the world. Um, and I felt particularly weighed down by the kind of the violence and the grief of the world this week, uh, whether it was torch-bearing white supremacists or terrorists of all persuasions or a truly shameful stunt by a federal senator in our parliament. Um, but amidst it all, and look, really, this just kind of speaks to my own prejudices more than anything. The major highlight for me, and this is probably something of a confession, I don't know, but um, was a bunch of white, in inverted commas, white politicians uh, grilling each other um, about where they really came from. And uh, I had to laugh because uh, I personally think the whole citizenship rule for federal politicians is really outdated. It doesn't reflect uh, the diversity of our community. It doesn't reflect the fact that the majority of Australians really all have a migrant story and a migrant past outside of our first peoples. Um, but as someone who grew up being asked probably every other day of their life, where did you really come from? <laughs> to which my response was Redcliffe, which didn't always go over so well. Uh, I took kind of great delight in seeing all these politicians being grilled about where they might really come from and the fact that even though they felt so entitled to their Australian citizenship, that may have come into question. So I chuckled a lot at that, week, uh, at that this week. I'm a bad person, I know that. Um, but uh, one of the readings this week uh, from the Christian liturgical calendar comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15 and it's a passage that a lot of people don't often know what to do with and, and that many scholars kind of really try and explain away and um, it, it's a little bit controversial because of what it has Jesus saying but I actually, I actually found some solace in this passage this week and I'll just read it to you and I'll kind of explain my take briefly on it. So Matthew 15 verses 21 to 28 says this, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and, and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She just keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What do we make of all this? What, what, what's kind of going on here? I've, I've read many scholars who, who try and explain this away. They try and look at the deeper meaning for what it is that Jesus was talking about, the Israelites being called first and then the Gentiles and, and looking at kind of the root word of, of dog in the Greek. And, and uh, to be honest, they're really just trying to get Jesus off the hook, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's hard to deny the fact that he basically calls this woman a dog. It, it's hard to dress it up. Plenty have tried. However, I actually think we kind of miss the point 
if we try and get Jesus off the hook here. Part of the broader theme that we've kind of been looking at over the last number of weeks is how people's understanding of Scripture is actually challenged throughout Scripture itself and how Jesus was essentially murdered by the orthodoxy of his time, how, how Peter had a revelation in Scripture, through Scripture, by, about uh, clean and unclean food and clean and unclean people, and how he realises that essentially what he had believed about those things, based on his reading of Scripture, was actually incorrect. And so we've talked about uh, how a rigid understanding of Scripture is actually not biblical, and we can kind of see this shift of understanding in this passage too. So to kind of put it in context, the Canaanite woman to us is essentially the Aboriginal single mum of her time. The Canaanites were the indigenous peoples of that region. Uh, some Israelites believed that uh, based on their reading of the book of Joshua that the Canaanites were to be exterminated and that this was ordained by God that they would be exterminated. Uh, and so, essentially, the Canaanite woman would have been considered the lowest of the low. She, she had no husband to represent her, which at that time was highly controversial. Uh, it essentially meant that she had no standing in, in that society. Uh, single mums were even more vilified and, and had an even lower status than they do in our own time. And so the central character of this encounter is an indigenous woman. More than that, uh, she's marginalised on her own traditional lands. She's ignored and discarded by a, a dominant culture in which she is the minority. And on top of all that, we think she's probably a single mum. She's representing herself. And she has a daughter with significant trauma and mental health issues. But rather than accept her lot, the Canaanite woman pursues Jesus. She dares to interrupt a man of authority. She dares to interrupt a rabbi. And, and this rabbi is not even in his place of business. He's not in the temple. He's on retreat, essentially. He's, he's retreated to a place to rest. He's retreated to a place to recharge. And this woman comes chasing after him and, and she dares to cry out and, and she begs Jesus to help her. And Jesus' initial response to this woman, Jesus' response to the Aboriginal single mum who has a daughter with mental health issues is the same as that of the disciples and I would argue probably the same as that of our contemporary leaders and possibly even our own, he just ignores her. He just keeps walking and she's running after him, she's crying out and he keeps walking as though she isn't even there. And I was reading this passage and I felt really convicted by that. Here in Jesus, I, I recognise my own willingness to keep walking. I recognise my own willingness to ignore the cries of people around me, of the homeless, of the poor, of the marginalised, of the dispossessed. And then after he ignores her, he also does what I have done. He basically seems to seek to justify his deliberate ignorance of her cries and basically to put her in her place. He seeks to put her in the place that society and its ideologies and patriarchy have for her and he basically says to her, you have no place here. You have no place here. I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to serve the chosen. I'm here to serve the Israelites. You're not an Israelite. It's 
it's strong words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And, and if we pretend that this is not Jesus for a moment, if we pretend that it's someone else, then his response is kind of okay. We're okay with that. It's, it's kind of hardly surprising. It's how we treat, it's how we treat the, uh, the traditional custodians of our own country. It's, it's how it is that Australia Day remains on a date that some British naval captain stumbled across what we now know as Sydney. It's, it's how we treat people who are on our borders who are desperately seeking safety. But what we see is that the Canaanite woman persists. And Jesus kind of continues along the line of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve hardworking, tax-paying Aussies who actually feel really uncomfortable with your presence. That's kind of the gist of what I read in that passage. But she won't be denied and she won't be shamed and she continues to hold her own. And it's at that point that the, the passage turns because rather than continue as possibly I would or as the leaders of our time would rather than uh, exclude her, rather than shame her, rather than legislate, rather than deport her and her child to some prison island off our coast, rather than uh, blaming her poor parenting, rather than uh, seeking to ban her from travelling to that region rather than marching through the streets with torches to intimidate and to maintain the status quo, rather than, here this is topical, rather than institute a non-compulsory, non-binding postal vote so that everyone else can have an opinion on her life, rather than doing any of those things, instead of getting defensive, instead of trying to assert his authority, instead of punishing her for daring to speak out, Jesus does something really beautiful. And I think in that moment, he demonstrates again why he might be worthy of the mantle God made flesh. What happens in my reading of this passage is that he allows the systems and the structures that he was raised in, he allows uh, the, the systems and the structures that have informed his thinking he allows the ideologies that have kind of surrounded and formed him as a human being, he, he allows them to be challenged and he allows them to be torn down and he essentially allows the humanity of this woman, her boldness and her courage, her resistance in the face of overwhelming odds to impact and to challenge his own humanity. And I read in that moment that Jesus is changed. I, I read in that moment that Jesus is transformed and that out of that change and out of that transformation, Jesus then blesses the Canaanite woman. He, he encourages her, he commends her, and he grants her request and he heals her daughter. I think if we read that passage and we try and explain it away, I actually find no solace in that. I, I find no solace in trying to explain away how Jesus responds in this passage because I think what we do if we do that is we deny a Jesus who learns from his experiences. We, we deny a Jesus who is both influenced by his context and his upbringing but a Jesus who also then rails against that. We, we deny Jesus' humanity and I think if we deny Jesus' humanity, then I think we actually deny Jesus. 
we, we deny a God that can relate to us and we deny a God that, as we talked about last week, that, that will sit in the dark with us and we deny a God who is moved by relationship with us. And I have to wonder if, if we explain that passage away and, and if we believe that Jesus can't be changed, then where's the hope in that? How, how can I possibly hope to be changed? How, how can I possibly hope to grow? And so I find solace in two things. I, I find solace in understanding that, that whilst Jesus is not even vaguely as flawed or as broken as I am, I find solace that he offers this really potentially questionable response. It's a response that I might offer. It's a response that I have offered. And I also find solace in seeing that Jesus is changed and in understanding how I really should respond in that situation. Because Jesus is, is transformed by this woman's humanity. And if, if I can somehow grasp that, if we can grasp that, that Jesus too had to break down and question the social values and the structures of his time, if we can grasp that maybe his default response is informed by his upbringing, if, if we can grasp that in that moment that he allows these views to be, to be changed by the humanity of the woman before him, then, then so might I. So might we be changed by the cries of the marginalised in our midst. And I think, for me at least, there is our hope. There is our hope.